Well, hey, uh, before I get started, uh, I would like to pray. The Bible tells us that we are to pray for those who have authority over us, and that includes uh, the president and his wife and those affected by COVID, and so we're going to pray right now as a congregation. This is not a political statement. Obviously, you have your thoughts about the president. I have mine. This is not about that. This is about what the Bible tells us to do as disciples of Jesus. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our God, we come to you right now and we ask that you would keep safe and heal our president and his wife and those in his inner circle that have been affected by this. Uh, We pray that you would heal their bodies and while this is happening, God, we pray that you would hold the hands of bad actors and countries that would like to turn this into an opportunity uh, to take advantage of the situation. We pray that you would hold back those around the globe who might use this as an opportunity uh, to incite violence. And we pray, God, that uh, uh, for complete healing, not just for him and his family, uh, but also all involved. God, we are also mindful of the people that we don't know by name. We pray particularly during this season for those who have been uh, afflicted and uh, mistreated because of their skin color. We pray, God, that the evil of systemic racism would be eradicated from our country and that you would help us to become a just people, a kind people uh, who treats everyone equally, whether it's via the police, whether it's in our own churches, whether it's in schools, Around this country, God, we just pray that you would help eradicate racism in all of its forms. We pray, God, for those who have been affected by COVID, for family members that have lost loved ones, for people um, around the country who currently have it. God, we pray that you would uh, guide the hands of researchers and doctors and help uh, a... um, vaccine that is safe and efficacious to be found quickly. Uh, Until then, God, we pray that you would give us strength to endure and abide and persevere. Until then, God, we pray for people uh, throughout our country and particularly in the Philadelphia metro area who don't know Jesus. We pray, God, that Uh, that you would work through all gospel preaching and Bible teaching churches in this country, that in this incredibly difficult time on both church leaders and churches, that God, you would strengthen all those involved, that you would help them to teach and preach the gospel clearly with compassion and boldness. Uh, pointing to you as the true hope in the midst of the season. And God, during our 20th anniversary celebration today, we're just so incredibly thankful for everything that you've done through all of the people that are here, through all of the people who are watching online, through the serving and the sacrificing and the giving of all of us. We're so incredibly thankful for the way that you've worked in our lives, and we look forward to what you're going to be doing the next 20. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by telling you about a guy that you probably have never heard of. His name is Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a famous professor 
and author and speaker. Uh, he taught at Yale, he taught at Notre Dame, he taught at Harvard. Uh, if you go and look on Amazon uh, and then under the name Henry Nowen, you will notice over 130 books that he's written and a whole bunch of books that were written about him. At the height of his career, he gave it all away to care for a um, disabled young man by the name of Adam. Adam uh, was not a friend. He was not a relative. He was simply a stranger that had a need. And Henry decided that for the remaining years that he had available, as God would give him strength, that he would volunteer at the home for the disabled, taking care of Adam and living side by side with him. In fact, Adam was so profoundly impaired that it took Nowen two hours each morning just to get him out of bed and prepare him for the day. And so Nowen was an Ivy League scholar with invitations to write and speak throughout the globe. And when he died in 1996, the last 10 years of his life were spent caring for Adam. How do you explain that? More importantly, how do I become more like Henry Nowen? How do you become more like Henry Nowen? We're in the middle of this series called Fight to the Finish. And what we're doing is we're walking through the book of 1 Peter. And what I want to do today is I want to take a look at a little section of scripture that most people will just skim right over, but I believe it's one of the most important sections of scripture because what it does is it gives us a challenge for us living in 2020 to become more like Jesus and Henry Nowen. Let me go ahead and read it. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, therefore, if you remember last week we were talking about why they should, the answer that they should give to people who are suffering. Uh, Peter then turns and says, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Lean over to the person next to you and say, you definitely need to get rid of a lot of that stuff. Could you do that real fast? For those of you who are watching online, just say, lean over to the people in your room and say, yeah, he's talking more about you than he is me. But Peter is like saying, hey, listen, you need to get rid of a lot of those things. But here's why, and here's how. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What's your last meal? When you, when you are getting ready to die, if you have a last meal, what's it gonna be? Share, share that with the person next to you. What's that last meal going to be? Here's my last meal. My last meal, greatest meal ever. First and foremost, the main course, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right? We're not trying to lose weight now. It doesn't matter. Kentucky Fried Chicken original, right? Now, original, we're not talking crispy like the evil people that are out there. Original recipe, start with the breast, and then you want a thigh, and then you want a leg. You want three pieces. Uh, then then the, the side dish will be my mom's baked beans, the greatest baked beans ever. Love you, mom, primarily for the beans. My dessert is going to be, my mom calls it luscious chocolate pudding. And again, we're not trying to lose weight. And then do you know what I'm going to have to drink? 
Pepsi. Not Diet Pepsi, regular Pepsi. That's my last meal. And here's the thing about Kentucky Fried Chicken. I can't stop at one piece, right? And like if I eat one, then I'm going to eat four. And, and that's what Peter's talking about is this, this image of what is that food that when you eat it, you're like, oh, I just can't stop at one. I need to have two. I need to have three. If I have one helping of this, I'm going to continue to eat it. You're going to taste that it's so good that you're going to want to continue to do that. And what Peter says is that Jesus is a lot like that favorite meal or that favorite dish that you have. Once you just taste the, 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 the incredibleness of Jesus and his faithfulness and his love for us, and we begin to read scripture and learn and know more about Jesus's will for our lives, what happens is we're like, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with one dish. I want a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see Jesus touching lepers, washing people's dirty feet. In fact, I was toying with the idea today to bring out pans of water so that people could wash each other's feet. But I just want you to think for a second of how gross the feet are of the people that sit next to you. So you want to thank the Lord we're not doing that today. But Jesus did that in the first century. Jesus was more concerned with kids than he was with powerful political leaders. Jesus lived an incredibly selfless life um, as Henry Nouwen did, modernly's life for Jesus. So my question is, How do we become more like Jesus? And more importantly, what did Jesus have or do that enabled him to do that? And what he had was the Greek word splagnos. Splagnos is the Greek word for compassion. Now, splagnos sounds like a word where you stick your finger down your throat and you splagnos everywhere, right? And, And it sounds like that, but it's not far from the truth. Splagnos was the Greek word for guts literally your guts. And then it was used metaphorically for how you feel when, you're, when your guts are constricted. How many of you are criers in movies? I respect you, honestly. Hold up your hands. Actually, I don't respect you at all. That's, you're crying. No, I'm just, I do. I do. I incredible. I, I, people who are able to show their emotions in movies, I can't do that. I still feel like, hey, I'm a guy, I shouldn't do that. And so what happens in a movie, particularly if it's a sad movie, it's a moving point in a movie, I won't cry, but I'll just, like, my throat will start, you know, and I'll just feel it. Have you ever been in one of those situations where, like, you want to cry, but you can't, and you just feel it? That's what the Bible says splagnos is. This overwhelming sense of, oh, I'm just feeling this compassion for these people. Just think of all the people in the Bible that Jesus interacted with, a person that was a leper, someone that was homeless, someone that was broken, someone that needed healing, it always tells us that, like in Matthew 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. In other stories, we always see where Jesus, filled with compassion, he reached out and touched the leper. Now, My friend Vince Antonucci talks about how he thinks that all of us have this God instinct for those of us who are Christians. Like, this is what splagnos is, this God instinct. And so he said, usually what happens is 
whenever we're in a situation where we see someone in need, our first instinct is usually the right instinct. It's usually the God instinct. For instance, you hear about a family that has this bill that they have to pay and it's $400. And you're like, well, I have $400 in my checking account. I ought to just go ahead and give them that $400. And then more often than not, what do we do? We start to second guess that initial feeling, right? We'll start to say, hey, well, it's their fault that they got into this financial situation and maybe the money would be used better elsewhere. But that first instinct, that God instinct, that splagnos, that's the one that we ought to follow. And Vince says, ironically, for non-Christians, He'll tell non-Christians that whatever your first instinct is, don't go with that. Those of us who remember what it was like when we weren't Christians, we know don't go with the first instinct. The transformation that has happened has been so profound. We remember the first instinct was the wrong instinct. Like So um, when you're not a Christian and, and you turn around and you cuss out your boss... And then later you think, hey, that probably wasn't the best idea. That first instinct, don't go with that if you're not a Christian. But if you're a Christian, go with that first instinct, right? So last week we talked about if you want to, if you want to essentially live a life devoted to Jesus, um, you ought to follow Peter's commands. And so what, what Peter essentially does is he gives us, before he starts talking about all of these other issues, all of these things that we could do in the middle of a pandemic, all of these things that we ought to go out and fix in the world, the very first thing we ought to be thinking about is holding the mirror up to ourselves and what can I change about me? How do I become more like Jesus? And so let me give you three suggestions of things that we could do, whether you're watching at home at a watch party or with your family or we're here, I want you to give you, I'm gonna give you three ideas. And here's the first one. You have to make the decision, and it's a decision that you have to make every day. Like, I want you to think about the day that you were baptized. You remember what the date was for those of you who are followers of Jesus? Usually at any given time, about a third of the people in our room and a third of the people watching are sort of on the outside looking in. And we love that you're here, and we love that you're seeking God. But for those of you who are already in and that you're baptized, what was that date? How long ago was that for you? For me, it was, gosh, it was 1985. And here's the thing. The moment you were baptized, you weren't instantly changed. It was every single day getting up and saying, I'm choosing to follow Christ, and I'm going to rid myself, as Peter says, of all of these different things. Rid yourselves of malice. Rid yourselves of deceit, of hypocrisy, envy, slander, all of these things. And so what happens is that the longer we follow Jesus, we should become more like Jesus. And so we're just so incredibly thankful for people who have been following Jesus in our congregation for a long time. A lot of people will ask me, who's our church for? And I will tell them our church is for the young and the young at heart. And so a lot of people will come and like, they'll see us online and they'll visit our church and they're, they're, they'll think that they'll come in and see a bunch of 20-year-olds uh, in here, primarily because they see me. They see my abs. 
they see the biceps. It's just a given, right? And, um, but they'll come here and they'll realize, like, oh, wow, you have a really diverse congregation, ethnically, um, financially, and you'll have a diverse congregation by age. And I love that. We never want to be a congregation that is just one particular group of people. But what I love about my friends here in our church that are older and that have been following Jesus is that, you know what? You're the closest we have of getting to Jesus right now, physically. You're the closest thing that we can actually tangibly see. That um, I remember one time we were touring, Lisa and I are touring a Greek Orthodox church and they were talking about the saints that were on all the walls. And uh, she said, that she gave me the best definition of what a saint is. A saint is just simply someone that makes it easier to believe in God. And when I look at all of my friends here that have been following Jesus for a long time, I'm so incredibly thankful for you because you've modeled what Jesus is and basically you make it easier for me to believe in God. Anyway, here's the second thing. You prime your thinking by starting your day with God thoughts. Every day, get up and read just a little bit of scripture. I have this practice where I get up, I read a chapter of scripture, and then I have basically a a list of things that I pray for. And I do that because, so there's this um, Yale professor, John Bard, who's been conducting brain experiments on people, on his unsuspecting students. And I love one of his experiments. What he did is he had two different tests that he got all of his students to come in one day, big classroom, but he created two tests. And one of the tests, all throughout the test, they were filled with negative words, rude words, like disturb, bother, intrude, Dallas. These are all just terrible, terrible words, right? And then there were polite words in the other test. Polite words like respect, considerate, and yield. Unbeknownst to anybody taking this test, he basically mixed all the tests up, gave them out to everyone, and said, when you're done, I'm going to be out here in the hallway. And you come out individually, just turn in your test, come out in the hallway, and I'll give you your next assignment. So people would go, and they would finish the test, go out into the hallway, and they didn't know this, but he had paid an actor from the theater department to stand there in the hallway and talk to him and take up his time with a bunch of meaningless talk. And so students would come one by one, walk up to the conversation that this professor was having with this hired theater guy, and, and, and how, what percentage of people do you think interrupted um, the people who were taking the test that w- the test was filled with respectful words. 82% of the people that had just spent the last hour reading the test filled with respectful words, 82% would never even interrupt the conversation. But for those who had the rude words, every single one of them went up and interrupted the professor after five minutes. All of them were from Philadelphia. <laughs> All of them. No. So, so the thing is, is that when you start your day with God's thoughts, it's going to affect the next hour, the next two hours, and three hours. You're priming your brain. Here's the last one. Discipline your flesh by saying no to small things. Now, a lot of people 
um, once a year in our area that come from a certain religious denomination, they will, they will um, give up something for what? It will happen on a Wednesday. It will go all the way to Easter for Lent, right? You'll give up something. And in the New Testament, Lent was nothing more than fasting. And there wasn't a particular time frame that you did it. You just did it when you felt you needed to conquer the particular thing that fasting was meant to intervene a change. And so one of the things that you can do to begin to rid yourself of whatever you're struggling with is do something that is the exact opposite, that you can give up that's small. Let me give you an example of this. Um, Dr. Raymond Bucher was a missionary in Burma. He, he competed in the Olympics in 1924 in Paris. He was known as a man of discipline and character. Gordon MacDonald was a, a well-known uh, Christian author back in the 1980s and 90s. And Gordon MacDonald was neighbors with this guy. And he asked him out... Uh, for coffee one time. And Dr. Buecher said, uh, I, I won't go out to coffee with you, but I certainly would enjoy the conversation. And so they went out to a cafe, sat down, and Buecher just got water. Uh, McDonald got coffee. And this went on like three or four or five times until uh, Gordon McDonald eventually asked him, hey, you certainly must not like coffee. And Dr. Buecher said, no, I love coffee. I love coffee very much, but each time I say no to coffee, I remind myself that there may come a day when I have to say no to other things of much greater importance, and I'll have to practice on simpler things like your cup of coffee. So my question to you is, what is your cup of coffee that you could begin practicing on this week? What is something that you could go without that would help you, for instance, practice patience or kindness or avoiding gossip. Um, this is our 20th anniversary as a church, and I just want to tell you, if I haven't told you already over, again, I want to tell you how incredibly proud I am of every single one of you. Over the last 20 years, you have been the most generous the most persevering, the most bold congregation I have ever, ever witnessed. In the last 20 years, we have planted churches all throughout the world. Thousands of people have been baptized into Christ. We have planted churches around the world. As Bob Goff says, we've partnered with him to build safe homes and rescue uh, kids from trafficking. We're one of the biggest percentage-wise, percentage we're one of the largest churches to support kids in Africa in the entire country. And I'm so incredibly proud of what you've done. But last week I was having a conversation with someone and he was like, so what's the next thing? What's the next big hill? What's the next thing we're going after that we want to tackle? And I said, listen, we're going to do a lot more of what we've already been doing. It's going to be incredibly exciting. But I just want to tell you what gives me the greatest joy is not any of those things. What gives me the greatest joy is the slow, deliberate life change that has been happening in people's lives over the last 20 years. People that have come to Christ, and as Paul says, um, hubristus, proud, arrogant, becoming loving and kind and gracious. Life change is the most important thing that we've seen over the last 20 years. And so I'd like to see another 5,000 people 
taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what Henry Nowen did. Thank you for clapping. Thank you for clapping. There's some people that haven't clapped. You need to taste and see that the Lord is good because you're going to hell. All right, let's pray. We're so incredibly thankful, God, for what you have done with the people here and the people that are watching online through their lives, through their sacrifice, through their love for you and their love for one another. We're just so incredibly blessed to have been a part of this together. And when we look back at the end of our lives on the things that we've done, after the people that we have loved, our family and our close friends, our participation in this congregation will rank incredibly high. We're so thankful for what you're doing. Thankful for 20 years. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.